Hello and welcome to the BG Podcast. My name is AJ Bingham, CEO of Bingham Group. Today's episode is a recap of the Austin Council and Bond elections that occurred last night. With us to discuss this is new associate Hannah Garcia. Welcome to the show, Hannah. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to be here and talk about elections. All right. Well, I also want to get to what you were doing last night. You had a late night at Planning Commission, which uh, some important times are going on there. Let's start at the top. So we had six council elections going into uh, this cycle, uh, four open seats and two incumbents up for re-election. Um, any surprises there overall when you're in from last night? I'm going to say Celia winning by 15,000 votes was honestly a surprise. I think, um, you know, Kirk had uh, a lot of the business community behind him, a lot of, you know, West Austin behind him. And typically those are the people that show up and vote. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, with him being mayor already, I just being a state senator, I thought, you know, he has, you know, the name recognition, you know, he's running this great campaign. He, you know, fundraised like crazy. And so to see him, you know, lose by about 15,000 votes, um, that was actually a pretty big surprise. I expected that margin to be much, much smaller. And then, um, but I do think that it was possible that Jennifer Bearden might have taken some votes away from him. I was going to add, and also just for, for our listeners uh, who aren't from Austin or follow politics in Austin, we're talking about the uh, mayoral election from last night. Um, looking at the numbers now from Travis County. So yeah, Jennifer Bearden, uh was the third place um, holder. She had about 18.3% of the votes, 52,385. I do, and then we've talked before um, several times, but I think she she was a factor in that. And, you know, the runoffs being now December 13th, we'll see see how much of a factor she really was. I think it was a factor here, obviously, in terms of those votes. Most likely the voters for Virden are folks who would most... You know, I'm, I'm assuming some of those people would probably be more in the Watson camp or, you know, pragmatically, you know, more so the business community. We'll see uh, in December. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I'm wondering if, you know, the fact that Kirk's already been mayor has anything to do with it. You know, people are like he's had his chance. Um, so and I, I'm wondering if that has anything to do with it. But um, I also think it's important to keep in mind that that's only going to be a two year um, term. Mm-hmm. This was a uh, so- prop, prop D that passed. Austin's proposition indeed it passed with two years ago, realigned yeah. Austin's mayoral terms, our mayoral election cycles with the presidential election cycles. Um, it just, the way it fell this year with Mayor Adler terming out after his two consecutive four-year terms, um, whoever went, yeah, whoever went ultimately wins his seat will be a two-year term, which is interesting in itself, right? Because whoever went, you're pretty much, the campaign's not going to stop, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much going to be, you know, nonstop campaigning and, um, or you know, you know, officially, right? I mean, there's the, you know you can't campaign. There's a certain there's windows to campaign, but yeah, in essence, you are because you know, and I we we've, we've talked this before as well. It's this first year, this next year, and twenty you know, full year of twenty three. It's really make or break in terms of setting getting some wins in because once we hit twenty four, that you know it's gonna it's gonna pick up, and there are you know there's several council members that are up for election in twenty four that you know. A two-year term, I mean, while you're the incumbent, doesn't necessarily make you a strong incumbent the way a full, you know, full four years in would. Yeah. So, but TBD, right? There's a lot of, there's yeah. a lot of speculation there. They, Overall, though, we have a runoff. We are coming from uh, mayoral seat, uh, former state rep, Celia Israel, and former state senator, Kirk Watson. And uh, more on that um, as it develops. 
yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see how that comes out. They both got great resumes. Um, mm -hmm. So we'll I, see. I think it's you know with the with the field reset, you have just last thing with a mayoral election. You have two now gradients of blue. Um, you know, I would say uh, versus two, you know, two two Democrats or Republican. I think there are folks who I think you you had Republicans who if Bearden was in the race, either they would have stayed home or you know. They probably would have stayed home or just made another vote, right? But I think with her as an option for Republicans too, uh, and Austin, you know, and all the council council mayoral races are are objectively or officially they're not the nonpartisan, but they're partisan. And Travis County overall has been is heavily, heavily, heavily democratic. Um, that, you know, that definitely was a factor in terms of just having a you know, Republican option, right, for folks that may have felt that their voices haven't heard. Their yeah, reasons, yeah. You know, so. More on that. Uh, getting to District One, uh, incumbent uh, Councilmember Natasha Harvard Madison won outright, gathered or garnered fifty three point two three percent of the votes, twelve thousand seven hundred thirty one out of twenty three thousand nine hundred seventeen. I mean, she she, you know, her reelection campaign, I think, was was you know, she could have done any better. I mean, she she tried to do any better in terms of fundraising on the ground game, and it showed here. Um, endorsements any thoughts on this one i think you know she's just once again a great example of how being out in the community wins elections mm -hmm. um i think we saw that with vanessa Buentes, you know in the last round and now we're seeing it just clearly with her you know mm -hmm. she's always you know out and about in her community with the people she represents um and it's very clear that she's a great council member because of that and you know it shows in the numbers she mm -hmm. she, she won because she's she's you know she's out there and she's representing the community Okay, so four more. She'll, she's entering her, this will be her second term and final term of four years. Mm -hmm. Next up, we have District 3. This is a seat being vacated by Council Member Pio Venturia, who, who served as, as well two four year terms. Uh, runoff now between Jose Velasquez and Dan Daniela Silva. Jose received or garnered 36.43% of the votes. Daniela received 34.42% of the votes. Uh, this one, you know, I. This was on my list of, of races that I had. I thought had a high potential of going to runoff. Um, you know, I think just uh, you know, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, no, I definitely saw this one as there was no clear winner. Mm -hmm. um, you know, coming into this, there was the field was pretty saturated with candidates, and there wasn't one specific one that stood out. Um, and you know, when you have situations like this, just kind of where I think the community doesn't know who they're necessarily voting for. Um, there's a lot of different factors that play into when you're at that uh, polling station. Like it's shown that um, uh, statistically, it shows that Democrats tend to vote for uh, females if they don't know who's on the ballot mm -hmm. um, and just a million other things. So I think, you know, coming into this runoff, there's a lot of stuff I think they can do to just get their names out and educate the community on who they are. Um, I think additionally, you know, D3, St. Edwards is down there and um, finals do end before the runoff starts. So, you know, you have a huge, not a huge amount of voters, but a good portion of voters that aren't going to be there anymore. So, um, you know, I think that one can really go either way. I do think uh, Jose Velasquez does have, you know, a bit of a um, competitive edge just right now with name recognition. But um, it's really too, and again, you know, uh, just this going purely by anecdotal what you see on Instagram and everything else. But um, I think his ground, at least the ground game he ran, was pretty strong. Um, 
and really covering it, you know, especially so district district three is part of the Austin's Eastern Crescent as a district one. Um, you know, historically, these were the, you know, the, the, the black and brown part of town, uh, if you will. And, uh, but there's also some of the areas that have been the highest, had an Austin that, or have had the highest levels of gentrification as well. So the, the demographics of these neighborhoods are also changing, right? Like, you know, just for quick history for those who aren't aware of it, uh, prior to 10-1, we had Austin had an at-large system of government. Uh, but two of those council seats were, it was, it was under what was called the Gentleman's Agreement. Uh, one seat in the council was reserved for a black, it was a black seat, and one seat was reserved for a brown uh, Hispanic seat. And those typically were in D, in D, were now D1 and D3 for the most part. So uh, they, the demographics of those areas, those districts are changing dramatically and probably a little bit more so in this next uh, de- rest of this decade. Uh, but I, I agree. I think it's going to be, you know, with a runoff, it's going to be a level set, less crowded field, focused on two folks. And then I think it comes down to just running the same, you know, running the ground game. I know Jose, Jose had quite a bit. He had the fundraising edge for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think for all the candidates that, you know, that's a factor going with a month, a month of, uh, you know, a clock reset and a month uh, back on the clock, more or less, um, you know, to work with. But again, the ground game, you can't discount that, especially I think overall, especially in Eastern Crescent. Yeah, yeah. District 5. So uh, what were your thoughts on this one? I was surprised that it went to a runoff. I think I I definitely thought Stephanie Bazan had the competitive edge coming into this and that she was going to take it. Um, you know, the once again, we had a lot of candidates in each of these um, races. You know, I think we had like at least five in each race. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think part of that is the reason why we're going to so many runoffs, just because there were so many options. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I definitely didn't expect this. I I, I thought Stephanie was going to outright win it. Um, so it is cool to see um, Ryan Alter in it, too, though. Um, he's, I haven't heard much about him, but it's going to be cool to um, learn a little bit about him. But I do I do think, you know, once again, it's the, the name recognition, mm-hmm. um, just like, you know, he's not necessarily running the best digital campaign. Um, and so it's like, you know, if you're, if I'm seeing one, it's, it's pretty hard for me to say like, okay, well, you know, this other, I expect this other person to win when I'm just seeing one other person running a great, you know, social media campaign. Um, more so, so, you know, you don't look at district too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like just maybe seeing things like we're, we're all, it's all skewed, right? Just based on on the algorithm, on the almighty algorithms, I guess. Uh, I think, you know, kind of notable in this race, we had Ken Craig, who is a longtime senior advisor to outgoing council member, uh, Ann Kitchen, who's also, he, who ran uh, two, two consecutive four-year term for D5. Interesting, interesting enough, too, her last term, her final term was uncontested, which was always just surprising to me that no, you know, considering, that was surprising. That it's is weird, cool. too, especially just with her being a little bit, I guess, um, tepid on development. Um, and just all of that stuff related to land development code, it was weird that she wasn't contested. I think that was something that, you know, Austinites usually contest. <laughs> so- or in general, right? Just, I think uh, it's, it, it uh, you know, because normally that would be a, a kind of a marker, even if someone, I mean, even, even if someone uh, was a long shot, but just, okay, gives you a sense for what the field might look like going, you know, in the next cycle. Because uh, yeah. when the head of people, Ahead of folks uh, formally declaring a D five, I had no idea who was who was really going after. There was 
it's kind of, you know, it's a blind spot for me because because there had been because there had been no contest, no even like really anyone even floating that I'd heard of getting in that race in the last cycle. You know, it was a blind spot. But yeah, I think it's with the field again resets. I mean, they got you know Stephanie. She she edged uh, Ryan a little bit on votes. We had Ken at nineteen point three percent. Ryan was at twenty four point two or twenty, and Stephanie was at twenty nine point thirty. So then that clear margins. I'm curious. You know, we have like how much with, with Ken out, and that was probably a certain good amount of institutional votes. But I know like some there were some institutional uh, backers behind uh, Ryan, I believe, mm-hmm. as well. So we'll see in that one. Yeah, and and I think it's also it's kind of just weird again that like staffers don't do well on the ballot um you know former staffers typically don't and so like we I think we saw that um with um Vanessa Fuentes's open or seat when she ran for it yeah you know he he had a great resume like if anyone was you know going to be great on land development code it was going to be him you know he he was one of those people that knew a lot technically just because he had been working for so long in the city and then you know I think he just kind of got blown out of the water by someone who was a fresher face that was just, you know, well, so out I, there. I think it's not just that. It was the campaigns, too. Right? Yeah, no, she, well, she did run a great campaign. A lot of these, it's a ground game. You know, we, so kind of, a, you know, going back to D1 um, with council member re-elect uh, Harv Madison, um, you know, she didn't, it's, she, she had, you know, it, you have to be out in the community, right? I don't think you can discount that. You, those door knocking, they, you know, real visibility matters. And the resumes, you know, that is a factor. That, I mean, I keep in mind, I mean, since 10 ones happened, so besides David, I think Ken was the only other staffer recent, you know, that I knew who had, who had run, right? I think Ben had worked for, Leffler, we'll get to that one, had had worked, who was staffer to Chris Riley, that was the last iteration of council. So ideally, you know, maybe this is a roadmap for future staffers as well. Of just, you know, it's not just, I agree, the institutional knowledge matters, but, and it can, you know, it should be an advantage, but you got to treat treat it like you're a fresh face to the community. Yeah. And it's going to be hard in your mind, but you have to view it that way. Otherwise, you get in this trap, right? Because I, I view it, right? a lot of the, a lot of people who work with you daily, maybe they, they know you, but, you know, in our world, that's, we we watch politics and the news all the time, right? The average yeah, person is not involved in this twenty four seven. Yeah, I think another thing is just being at the commission meetings and watching council meetings. I think a lot of uh, council staffers are, you know, having to actually interact with the community and having to make tough decisions with them, and that you know if it affects relationships. I think there's probably members in the community who you know, may feel, feel like slighted by them, you know, just based off of, you know, one thing they might've had to do, um, you know, because yesterday. As a, as a bonus, right? While they're not elected, it's just the ability to make those calls and they're advising these council members. You know, it's, well, as of now, there's no one, there's no former staffer on the slate, but it's something I think for, I mean, for, for uh, current staffers looking to run the future to consider. And now they have at least two races they can map off of uh, Ken's and then David's from pre- previous cycle. Yeah, yeah. So. D8, uh, Southwest Austin, Paige Ellis, incumbent councilmember Paige Ellis won uh, strongly 57.8, uh, 57.8, 81 mm-hmm. percent. Uh, no real, I mean, the strongest challenger was Richard Smith, who had 28.44. I think he was running more, I mean, fairly conservative side of things. So, yeah, she's, she's back in for another four-year, uh, or final four-year term. Um, any, any surprises there at all? I thought she was 
gonna take it. I mean, she ran. Yeah. She, she took it serious. She took the race seriously. Was running like I think it was like it was her first campaign. And you know, I, you know, I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't live in that district, and I was getting all the email. I mean, again, I'm, I'm probably on the list already, so that's probably why. But I was, you know, visibility and all that stuff. Yeah, and I and I know I think a lot of people expected I think like a red wave this election, you know, not only at the top of the ballot, but, you know, trickling down towards the bottom. Mm. And so I think that's part of the reason we saw a lot more conservative, like just outright Republican candidates in Austin that, you know, we don't necessarily see, you know, I think we definitely see a lot of varying shades of blue and some, you know, very, very moderate Republicans run, but, you know, we're actually seeing like pretty, you know, conservative conservatives running for office in um, Austin. And I think, you know, that might have resonated with a few people, but, you know, even though it's West Austin and those people make a bit more money, they're still, uh, they're still Democrats. Like, you know, it's, it's just a varying shade of blue. And so I think Paige Ellis represented that a little bit better than maybe a conservative candidate would. People mm -hmm. uh, the D8 constituents agree. So she's, we have, we'll have her another four years in the dais. So district nine, this was the only one that I thought for sure was going to be a runoff. This is down this yeah. is the downtown district uh, covers Parksville West Campus, uh, over up into Mueller. So, all right, uh, we have the runoff between Zoe Kadri and Linda Guerrero. Overall, uh, any surprises here or at all for you? I, I think, you know, just with having Kathy Tovo as our council member for the past, uh, like what, 12 years um, is pretty, it, you know, having somebody that's like so progressive like Zoe especially on development and just all these other great things. I think I was surprised that he, he did that the way he did. And um, obviously he ran a great campaign where he was, you know, on the ground. I I've met him several times just living in D nine. And so. Um, and you're more, you're closer to West campus too. I think you're probably, yeah. you're, you're very much in the, I mean, his a, a good, well, this is part of it. Right? We'll talk this in a second too. A good part of his, constituency that he was really out outreaching or towards was the, the student UT student community. Yeah. And, um, you know, he was out and about at like all of these great events, you know, I have some friends still going to UT right now and, uh, you know, they were saying like, Oh, he was, he was at this event. He is younger and uh, always cool to see candidates around, um, you know, our age doing great things. But Your age. No, I, age. Just knowing <laughs> nine, yeah, I'd say your age, not my age. Yes. <laughs> uh, oh, great. And so, you know, the field's reset. Yep. So we have Zoe and Linda in the runoff on December 13th. Um, I'll be curious to see how much of the uh, kind of where the where the other uh, candidates, how they coalesce around these two. All right. Yeah, and I, I think Zoe's got the name recognition right now. Can you hear me? Yes. Hello. I got okay, you. Cool. Sorry. Give a lag. Um. Uh. But yeah. No. I think Zoe um has the better name recognition right now, and um that's gonna play a part in it. But you know, once again, he's gonna lose a good amount of that you know university vote because they're gonna leave and go home for Christmas, you know, the day before uh selection is. So I think that's gonna play a role into it. But I'm I'm not sure how big of a role that's going to play into it. So, you know, we'll, well see. Again, I think I agree. And I think it's, it's more a function of, you know, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm no doubt if he was really campaigning uh, that student vote that that's not, that will be a priority of how we get those kids to, 
of students throughout this day for an extra day and vote. Uh, but also it's, you know, coming down to how many of the other candidates will coalesce from. So, uh, you know, Ben Leffler was a, I mean, he was, he was, he was slightly, you know, in percentages slightly behind uh, Linda, he had 21.24 votes, right, to Linda's 22.34. So yeah. I'm assuming those, you know, the degree, those voters, I think ideologically are probably more in line with Zoe than Linda. But ultimately, I think it's more what the candidates, you know, it's, it's more of the candidates that put their arms um, around Zoe or Linda on that, or stay out of it. Yeah. That's a race. So we're going to come on there. And then on the bond side, uh, all the major bonds for city of, or city of Austin, City of Austin's Prop A passed by a strong majority, 71.32%. And then we also had the ACC bonds, or yeah, Prop A, Believe that passed. Let me pull that one up. Any surprises in the bonds for you? Um, I think not with Prop A, but all of the AISD bonds passing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I definitely think there was there was a, like a certain level of like I guess question from the community about like why they needed that money. Well, and what exactly was Prop C, like? right? It was one of them. Real yeah. quick, the ACC bond uh, proposition A passed uh, seventy one point. 71.11%. Uh, um, and then, yes, the ACC, sorry, the Austin ISD bonds, there's like, so there's a bond package total about what, 2.44 billion. And that one is broken up into three propositions. Prop A passed by 72.55%. Prop B passed by 72.09.09%. And then Prop C, this was the stadium one that we're uh, mm. What they're revising, uh, renovating with Burger Center, Nelson Field, and uh, I think two others, but that was at that one by fifty eight point ten percent. So it was it was close. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that last one was the one that I did not expect to pass, just because um, typically the community isn't going to want to pay for that stuff. Um, just you know, I lived in I used to live in Buda, and whenever we were doing bonds for a new high school. I think it took like three elections for us to actually get that bond passed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was a new high school that we needed. So um, just with stadiums, I think those aren't necessarily considered, you know, a necessity for schools. And so it's pretty cool to see that, you know, the city agrees that that's a, a necessity for kids to have the access to, you know, good stadiums and they're investing in that just because, you know, I, you know, I was in sports in high school. I knew how much fun it was and how great, it was just for me as a student overall. And so I'm glad that they're investing in that. But um and then real quick, you want to talk about planning commission last night? Yeah. So planning commission was a very, very long meeting yesterday. Um they heard two code amendments. Um that was going to be residential, the residential and commercial amendment where they're gonna allow residential um housing in commercial zoning. Um that one you know, I think it's a great idea because we do need housing, but there was a lot of issues, I think, about putting housing too close to highways and just kind of the health risks of that. And so, you know, a lot of people came out to that asking for it to be postponed. Um, mm-hmm. Community member asking just because, you know, they didn't understand it. There wasn't enough notice. And I think that's a big thing is that, you know, notice is going out, but there's not enough time for these people in the community to actually learn what they're what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the land development code is really technical and niche sometimes. And, and you know, for people who don't speak English, uh, you know, having to translate that, especially when what the city of Austin gives them is typically just Google Translate. Um, you know, that's that's a struggle. 
And so, um, you know, these organizers who were doing great work, you know, just, you know, begging for, you know, Spanish translations and some more time, I think they're completely valid in that. And the city should give them that. Um, and, you know, I think we forget that this city has so many people who are at risk from displacement that do not speak English or, you know, it's their second language and they would benefit from a translation in Spanish um, and a good translation in Spanish that actually reflects going on because, you know, there's no translation for impervious cover. You know, you have to explain what that means. And so... And also, even in English, um, even in English uh, yeah, some of that goes from my experience. Yeah. I get that. Yeah, it's All like, right. you know, and, and you can't just translate Parkland dedication to Parkland dedication because it means something completely different. And so I think that's one of the things, you know, I never thought about until I heard the community, you know, speaking to it. And so... Um, you know, the community didn't really speak to the technical aspects of the code, but they were just, you know, asking for more time so they could understand it. Um, I think some members on planning commission are, you know, really trying to get this residential and commercial pushed to council before, you know, we get new council members. And um, as, and I understand why they're trying to do that is this specific council wanted to get these things done and pass a resolution to get these things done. But I think at this point, it matters about better policy. It doesn't matter about getting an amendment to this council because, you know, they want a win before they go out. Um, you know, they've had four years to do this. Um, and I and I completely understand that they kind of got, you know, um, got the runaround with, you know, the Ma March 2020 um ruling about the land development code but at the same time you know this is not something we should rush um you know that we know the market's not going to create affordable housing we need to do things in the code that are going to ensure that uh developers and builders want to build affordable housing because it makes it things cheaper for them mm -hmm. and um so on that, on that note too uh with council this current council has now three uh regular meetings left in the year um, we'll be back for regular vote. And they, I know they have a special session today. Uh, this is Wednesday, yeah. Wednesday, November 9th. But their next council next council meeting will be November 17th. And then December 1st, December 8th. So we yeah, are so that, down to the wire. That, uh, the that December 1st meeting is when um, a lot of these code amendments are going to come up. Um, they're slated to be there. And um, those code amendments are going there. You know, even planning commission, you know, zone plotting doesn't even give any recommendations. So, um, you know, they're, all of the commissions are on really tight schedules. You know, last night, uh, planning commission was, I think, quite um, flabbergasted by the fact that they had to hear um, the residential and commercial, um, the, yeah, the residential and commercial amendments, the compatibility amendments, the equitable transportation um, policy design, as well as the uh, Palm Street, Palm District plan. So they had, you know, four huge items on that. And they postponed a few of them and they didn't take any action on them. But I think, you know, they're, we're asking these volunteers on commissions to do a lot mm -hmm. um, in a short amount of time. And, um, you know, they're doing their best, but I also think that, um, you know, they don't owe anything to this council and the city doesn't owe anything to this council. So, um, you know, it's, it's more focused on getting good policy and, you know, I, I am kind of concerned by how they're overloading the commissions with especially planning commissions with so many important amendments to where, you know, they're not able to actually have, you know, debate and discussion because, you know, they're going to be there at 1am if they do. And so um, I think I hope to see this process slow down a little bit.
just because I think the community also feels like they're getting, you know, the land development code kind of force fed to them, uh, you know, because, you know, code next failed and I think the community expected it to there. And so these amendments are kind of, you know, they're making them, you know, feel, I guess, a little like, um, you know, they're getting the runaround. Yeah, um, I know they've been trying yeah, to get some piecemeal work to it. Just uh, some of the groups we're involved with, uh, you know, they've been knowing that, you know, a full, full over, a full overhaul of the land on the code isn't going to happen. Probably, well, now it's not going to happen until maybe this next council, if not later, until maybe the yeah. next, the next, next mayor is in uh, the full four term. Uh, this is a very volatile issue. And again, we'll, we'll see ultimately, I mean, I know these items are up December 1st, but we, we see in prior council meetings that get the, come this down the wire, especially when you have four new faces that will be on there in a, under a month from that last date, or a little over a month than the last date. Uh, a desire potentially just hold them, definitely in the communities out speaking, to, or asking for postponement. So more to come on that. Hannah, thank you for your insight and thoughts, and welcome to the team. Hannah joined us officially October 14th. It's been a fast, a little under a fast month. Um, welcome her insights on lend you some policy. And you can find more about her on the firm, our meeting groups, uh, uh, our team page. We'll put that in the show notes. Thank you for your time, Hannah. I'll see. I'll see you shortly. Yeah. Thank you. Bye.